Bibles to the book of James chapter 4. We're at James chapter 4, and we're going to pick up where we left off last week in verse 7 with a message titled, Drawing Close to God. Drawing Close to God. If last week we talked about the cause of wars, the cause of division, the cause of envy in our hearts and jealousy, which is pride. This morning we're going to talk about the cure of wars. We talked about what is the cause of wars and divisions and fights among us in the church, even in the Christian home. We talked about the cause of all those fights. This morning we will talk about the cure. And the cure of wars is humility. Because humility, as we've learned in the past, is the highway to holiness. Humility is the highway to holiness. And if pride, notice this church, separates us from God and from one another, then humility unites us to God and to one another. You know, oftentimes where there, why there is a strong division in a home or at a ministry or among believers is because there is an absence of humility and there is a presence of pride. And today we want to come to the Lord and say, God, we want you to give us the humility that we need so that we can draw closer to you and closer to one another. And if you like taking notes, we're going to go over three major points. Number one, humility produces submission. Humility produces submission. Number two, humility produces unity. We can't have unity without humility. And number three, humility produces surrender. Surrender to the will of God. Now he's told us now, James here, speaking to the church and the Jewish believers that God resists the proud, but God gives grace to the humble. And he left us with that point last week. God gives now grace to the humble and he resists the proud. Now therefore, he says in verse 7, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Now notice what he's done here. He's used the word, therefore. <laughs> and this is very important for us as we pick up here this morning. Because what he's saying is that since God gives grace to the humble, therefore we should submit to him as our sovereign king and enjoy the benefits now of his wonderful reign. Because God gives grace to the humble, we should therefore submit to him. How many of us have come for grace this morning? The best way to receive grace is when we come and we submit to God. This is why he says, therefore, being that we've recognized and that we have established that God gives his grace now to those that are humble and that he resists the proud heart, we must then come to the Lord now in humility and in submission. And this is what he says in verse 7, therefore submit to God. That's the number one exhortation and commandment. That you and the I, wherever we would be at in life, we would come into submission to God. Now what does it mean to submit to God? The word submit means to line up under. The word submit means to humble yourself before God. In other words, submission, if you want to define it in one simple word, means obedience. What does submission mean? It means obedience. 
obey God and follow his leadership. Don't fight against God. Don't resist God. Don't reject God's word. Now submit to him as a soldier that is under authority of his commander now with a willing conscience submission to fall under, to come and to respectfully obey the commandments. Now, we are doing this as a response to the grace of God. And notice this, and I want you to remember this this morning. You are either submitting to God or you're submitting to the flesh. You are either submitting to God or submitting to the world. You are either submitting to God or submitting to the devil. And we are always submitting to someone. The question is, are we submitting to the right now place? Are we submitting to the presence of God and to the Word of God? You see, the only way that we can submit to God is when we abandon our selfish pride now and we put on the whole armor of God and we place our faith in Him and say, Lord, we come here and live in a constant state of submission because it's the only way to have peace with God. Did you know that you cannot have peace with God if you're fighting with God? You cannot have peace with God if you're not obeying His Word. In fact, this is why he tells us, submit to God. Because this is the only way that we can have ever have peace with God, with unconditional surrender. That is the only way to complete victory. Unconditional surrender. And if there's any areas in our life right now that are not fully submitted, they're going to keep us away from that peace that God wants to offer us. Ask yourself this morning, are there any areas in my life that are not submitted? Are there not any areas in my life that maybe are unchecked now by the authority and the Word of God that are standing in the way of peace with God? That's why it starts with this order. Submit to God. Now, notice here in verse 7, the second exhortation that we ought to do. Resist the devil. <laughs> Oftentimes, we resist God. He's saying, no, don't resist God. Submit to God. And you ought to know that you have an enemy you have an adversary, and you ought to resist the devil. Now, what does it mean to resist the devil? Resist the devil means stand against the devil. Don't run away from the devil. Don't retreat from the enemy. Stand against the devil. And we only can stand against the devil by first submitting to God and submitting to his armor. In fact, when we go to the armor of God of Ephesians chapter 6 and put on the full armor of God, guess what he does? He equips us as we submit to that armor so that as we wear that armor, we can resist the devil. There are some of us today that are having a hard time resisting the devil. And the devil comes in and tempts us and, and comes in and, and, and now provokes our flesh and we give in to that temptation. In fact, the devil wants to destroy us and discourage us and disqualify us from what God has for us. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, Be sober or be watchful now. Be watchful, be alert, be on guard now. Because your adversary, you have an enemy now, the devil walks around like a roaring lion seeking whom he may devour. Why is it that we ought to resist the devil? Because he's coming after us seeking who he can devour. We have an enemy. And we ought to resist the enemy. But the only way to resist the enemy is if we first submit to God. In, in your life, 
Maybe you've noticed times in your life when you are trying to resist the devil and, and with your own strength you can't do it. And you find yourself completely always falling and entering into temptation or, or being defeated spiritually. And we have to go back and ask ourselves, am I submitted to God? Because if I was submitted to God, I would be submitted to the armor of God in prayer and in the word that equips me and gives me the strength through the power of the Holy Spirit to resist the devil, the adversary. But notice what happens here as you submit to God, resist the devil, and there's a promise here, and he will flee from you. And he will flee from you. That means that in Christ, in the armor of God, we don't have to be afraid in his strength because he will flee from you. Do you remember in Matthew chapter 4 when Jesus was in the wilderness fasting and praying and Satan came to tempt him? It said that Jesus answered Satan's temptations all four times with the phrase, it is written and quoted scripture. And then the enemy fled from him and left him. Why? Because Jesus was filled with the Spirit of God and Jesus was holding on to the Scripture now and the Word of God to defeat the enemy. He was submitted to the Father. Now this is important for us because a Christian who is not submitted will never be able to resist the devil. The Christian who is not submitted will never be able to resist the devil. And we have to even understand it like this. The same level or to the same level that you are submitted to God, it's the same level that you'll be able to resist the devil. Are you submitted to God? In fact, in Ephesians chapter 4, verse 27, when Paul talks to the church and to the Christian home about unity, he says, nor give place to the devil. Are you giving place to the devil right now? Giving place to the devil by not submitting to God? Giving place to the devil by, by keeping maybe a, a proud heart that keeps you away from now humbling yourself and submitting to what his word says? Or living in simple disobedience now? That's giving place to the devil. And we have to ask ourselves today, am I giving place to the devil or am I fully obedient to God? Because then he goes on in verse 8, and this is what he's telling us when it comes to humility and to unity and to really understanding that we can draw close to God as humility produces submission, that in verse 8 he encourages and he gives us a command. It says, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. Well, this is an amazing promise. Not only is this a promise here that if you draw near to him, he's going to draw near to you. But this is also an invitation. You get an invitation this morning. I have an invitation here in verse 8 of James chapter 4. And we also have a promise. And what is the promise and invitation? That if I come close to God, if I draw near to God, He will also draw near to me. He's talking about a living relationship with God. In fact, in Hebrews chapter 4 verse 16... The apostle tells now the church here, the Hebrews, he says, Let us therefore come boldly to the throne of grace, that we may obtain mercy and find grace to help in time of need. You know why drawing near to God is so important? Because drawing near to God brings to your life conviction. 
Drawing near to, you, to God, it brings into your life mercy and grace and help in time of need. But you have to ask yourself, how do I draw near to God today? How can I draw near to Him? Well, we can draw near to Him, number one, by the finished work of His Son, Jesus Christ, on the cross. That He gives us access to go into the presence of God. He has given us full access. But how does that look like for us on a day-to-day basis? Well, drawing near to God means that you're coming to the Lord in prayer. If you're coming to the Lord in prayer, you're drawing near to God. If you're coming to the Lord in the Word of God and spending time in the Word of God, that means I'm drawing near to God. If you're coming to God in fellowship and in communion, that's what it means to draw near to God. Now, did you notice that prayer, fellowship, and the Word of God are the most important ways on how we can draw near to God, but they also are the most ignored things in our life oftentimes? Why is it that in the Word of God we find the will of God? Why is it that in the Word of God we find the promises of God? We find strength. We can draw near to God. However, we ignore the Word of God in our lives. We can't afford to ignore the Word of God in our lives. And he's saying, draw near to him, church. And the reason why he's telling them to draw near, because he wants them to experience humility at its fullness. You know how you experience humility at its fullness? By confessing and by repenting. You can say, well, you know what? I'm coming and submitting to God. I'm, I'm humbling myself before the Lord. But you are never truly humbled before the Lord. You are never truly submitted before God until you have confessed and then you have repented. Humility looks like confession and humility looks like also repentance. Repentance means that I no longer am going to choose that way. I'm going to turn and I'm going to live this direction. I'm going to go to the direction of submission. And confession means that I admit that I am a sinner now and I need the Lord to forgive me. Look at how he, asks, he, how he explains now the, the confession and the repentance that we need in verse 8. Draw near to God and He will draw near to you. He will now restore fellowship with you. And this is how it happens in verse 8. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your, ha- your hearts, you double-minded. <laughs> now notice, this is not something that you want to be called. This is not the most encouraging now names to be addressed as here that James is telling the church. But he's calling them two things. He's, he's now giving them the conviction and he's, he's really now giving their sin and surfacing now their heart and their mind. Listen, you need to cleanse your hands. You know what it starts with? Cleansing your hands and purifying your heart. Cleansing your hands and purifying your heart. Now cleansing the hands she speaks about an external behavior. Cleanse your behavior. Stop doing evil now. And that happens when repentance happens. Cleanse your hands. Stop doing that. Come to the Lord with unpolluted hands. With with hands that are not filled with the sins of this world. Cleanse your hands, church. Are there any external behaviors right now that we are doing with our hands, with our lives, with our conduct, with our behavior, that we need to cleanse ourselves from? that we need to distance ourselves from? Because he's saying this is true humility. When you come to the Lord and you cleanse your hands. Now notice he says, you sinners. <laughs> because we are in our nature sinful. And our hands, because our, our heart is by nature sinful, our hands are also sinful. 
But then he goes to the, address the issue and the matter of the heart, and he says this, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. First, speaking about the external behavior, and now he speaks about the internal motive. Is there anything in your heart that must be purified? The internal motive. Stop doing evil with your hands and stop thinking evil even when it comes to your heart. Stop doing evil and stop thinking evil. If you really want to come and submit to God, you have to say, Lord, here are my hands. I need you to purify them. I need you to cleanse them. And Lord, in my heart, if there's anything in my heart that exists that doesn't please you, Lord, purify any internal motive that I do not place my heart on things that are sinful. And he calls them one thing, you double-minded. <laughs> you know what a double-minded person is? That they are unfaithful. You are unfaithful at heart, he's saying. You see that in the previous verses, he already called them adulterers and adulteresses. But there he reminds them, you have been unloyal when it comes to your heart. Unfaithful when it comes to your heart now. You're double-minded now. When it comes to your heart, when it comes to your mind, when it comes to your hands now, you have your mind on God, but also you have your mind on the world. And that's why you're double-minded. Now notice this, the double-minded Christian, the one that has their mind when it comes to the world, and has a mind for God as well, will never be able to come close to God. Because they're always going to be holding on to the world. And that's what he's saying, you cannot be double-minded. The one that has duplicity of mind will never be able to wash their hands and purify their heart because their, their mind is divided when it comes to loyalty. Is your mind loyal to something else besides the Lord? Or are we ready to make things right with God? Because the more that we are like God, the closer we are to God. The more we're like Him, the closer we are to Him. You know, I love in Malachi chapter 3 verse 7 where the minor prophet exhorts the nation of Israel as they've turned their back on God. And we have a beautiful promise here because it, the, the, the prophet is speaking to the nation of Israel and he says this, Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Return to me, notice this, and I will return to you. Do you see here that James is speaking to the backslidden mind? He's speaking to the backslidden heart. He's speaking to the hands that are now defiled with the things of this world. And he's saying, return to God, and he's going to return to you. If you draw near to God this way, he's going to draw near to you. But this is the way to draw near to God. Why? Because it's possible, notice this, to submit to God outwardly. It's possible to do that, but not be humbled inwardly. You know how you become humble inwardly? It's not just what you say. It's that there are fruits of repentance, and there's one thing when you're humbled inwardly. There's godly sorrow. That's what we need today in our lives, godly sorrow. You know what godly sorrow does? It knows. It's the Holy Spirit's conviction. When there's no godly sorrow in our lives no more, it's because we no longer have the conviction of the Holy Spirit, and we walked away from God. We have to ask, Lord, today, Lord, give me godly sorrow. That I wouldn't laugh about my sin. I wouldn't laugh about my pride. That it would have caused me to cry, to weep, to mourn, because I have grieved the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit comes into your life to now 
comfort you, to, to empower you, to come alongside of you, to help you. But when we live as a double-minded Christian, as a, as a, a Christian that is, now has their heart now that is not purified with pure motives, when our hands are not clean, guess what happens? We grieve the Holy Spirit. And here in verse 9 and 10, he's going to give us a picture now of true repentance. This is how true repentance looks. He says, lament and mourn and weep. <laughs> These are words that are application words for us this morning. And he says, let there be mourning for your sin. Let there be a humiliation. Let there be a now conviction now. Don't go on living your life as if nothing is wrong. Oftentimes, we think it's repentance when someone caught us in our sin. That's not repentance. Repentance is you when you went out and you confessed your sin. That's true repentance. The other way is you got caught. And you were exposed. The Lord did it in the Holy Spirit. But true repentance is when you come and you feel the, now, the godly sorrow now in your heart that doesn't let you continue, that you have to come and say, I need to put that aside already because it's separating me from God and I can't draw near to God or near to others because of the sin that is standing in the way. And he says, this is what your reaction and your response should be in verse 9, that you would lament, that you would mourn, that there would be a humility and conviction. In fact, he says, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. <laughs> Why does he say that? Why does he say, let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom? Because your response should be brokenness. Oftentimes, we're called out in our sin, and what happens is that we just shrug our shoulders. We laugh about it. We rub it off, and we continue living. And there's no real shame or conviction for the sins in our life. It's a scary place to be in that place. When no longer there is shame for living in sin. And this is exactly why he's saying there has to be a natural response that you see true brokenness. That you see the brokenness in the tears. You see the brokenness in the sorrow and the mourning that you're coming before the Lord with deep grief now and humiliation and saying, Lord, I cannot accept this sin in my life anymore. There is shame in my life due to this, this guilt of sin. Lord, cover me with your blood and with your grace and with your mercy. Now, do you know why he tells this to the church here that he's speaking to James? Because too often they did, and so do we. Listen to this, please. Too often they did, and so do we, treat sin too lightly. You treat sin too lightly, and you think that you can get away. Matter of fact, we even laugh about it. Well, look at the sin that I'm doing. Look at the sin that I'm enjoying. Be careful when you start to enjoy sin. Be very careful when you start to enjoy sin. Because you're turning your back on the Lord. And he's saying, you ought to come in brokenness and in true repentance. With the heart that is saying, no longer am I going to live a life that is a backslidden or not loyal to the Lord. In 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verse 10, you know what the Apostle Paul tells the church of Corinth who needed repentance? He says this, for godly sorrow produces repentance leading to salvation. Not to be regretted. You can never regret godly sorrow. But the sorrow of the world produces death. The sorrow of the world just says, you know what, I, I kind of feel bad, but I still want to enjoy my sin. The godly sorrow that is never to be regretted, 
that comes by the chastening and the discipline and the hand of God in our lives, understand that type of sorrow that ought to be never regretted produces now salvation or deliverance from sin. And we ought to never now shy away from that type of sorrow in our lives. In fact, in Psalms 51 verse 17, what did David now pray and sing after now he was confessing his sin of adultery as he went in and, and had sexual relations with another man's wife. In Psalms 51 verse 17 he says, The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit. He knew that when his spirit was broken, he again had a fellowship with God. Lord, thank you because I know that the sacrifices that you want are a broken spirit and a contrite heart, a heart that is humbled before you. These, oh God, you do not despise. You don't reject this. The best way to come before the Lord is to come to Him in humility and in brokenness. Why? Because sin is really serious. And a true mark of humility is when we face the seriousness of sin and we deal with our disobedience. That's humility. I'm going to face the seriousness of my sin and I'm going to deal with my disobedience in the presence of God, and I'm going to confess, and I'm going to repent. How is it that God wants you to draw near to Him? In confession and in repentance. And notice this, this is not something you do once, this is something you do daily. Why? Because the Bible says that you ought to carry your cross daily and follow Him. Therefore, we ought to come to the Lord at the cross daily in confession and daily in repentance, and saying, Lord, today I choose to follow you. Now notice verse 10, what he says, humble yourselves. <laughs> Underline that church. Humble yourselves. What does the word tell you? To exalt yourself. But the word of God says, humble yourself. The, word, the, the world tells us, promote yourself. But the word of God says, humble yourself. We need humility. We need to humble ourselves. To humble yourself, again, goes back to verse 7 where he says to submit or to surrender to the Lord or to submit under, to humble yourself before the Lord now in the sight of the Lord and then He will lift you up. Underline that part, He will lift you up. Oftentimes we say, Lord, we want to lift ourselves up and then we will humble ourselves before you. <laughs> no, the Lord wants you to humble yourself before Him. And he's the one that does the lifting up, not man. He's the one that does the lifting up, not you. Oftentimes when we want to lift ourselves up, guess what happens? Just the way we exalted ourselves, we vanish away. And it doesn't even matter. It doesn't minister to anyone. You know what ministers to people? Humility. Pride will never minister to the need of anyone. Humility does. That's why he says, make yourself flow in the presence of God. Submit under the presence of God or in the sight of God. And He will lift you up in honor. He will exalt you now. And I want, you to, I want to give you this with, with a lot of love. that It's better that, that you humble yourself than God have to humble you. Because oftentimes, we don't want to humble ourselves. And if you refuse to humble yourself, we have to ask God for mercy because then He will humble us. You know why God is patient with us, even in our sin? Because He's waiting for you to humble yourself. And it is much better that you humble yourself than He have to come 
and humble you. You know that God blesses humility. He doesn't bless pride. He doesn't anoint pride. And when you come and you humble yourself in the sight of God, you know what he can do? He can speak to you in his presence in humility. He can speak to you and use your life through humility. We see here in this verse, verse 10, that the pathway to exaltation, the pathway to exaltation and to usefulness is holiness, it's obedience, and it's humility now. Do you see that? And he will lift you up. Maybe today we're waiting for the Lord to use our lives. We're waiting for the Lord to, to really place a, a door of opportunity in our lives to revive us. And we want revival. We want to hear the voice of God. We want anointing in our life. And the Lord is saying, you might be asking for revival, but I'm requiring repentance first. You might want blessing, but I'm asking for brokenness. <laughs> and that's exactly what he's saying here. Now the pathway to exaltation is humiliation, obedience. In 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 6, it says, Therefore, humble yourself under the mighty hand of God, that He may exalt you. And notice this, in due time. I love that. 1 Peter 5, 6. Write that down in your Bible. In due time. Now, why is that important? Because oftentimes we think that we ought to humble ourselves for a week, for a month, for a little small season, and then God's going to lift me up. No, God wants you to remain in a constant state of humility, and in His timing, notice it, in due time, in His time, He is going to exalt you. He's going to raise you up in honor. This is what it speaks to us, that before we really ask for honor from God, we must really live in honor to Him. Our lives should be in honor to the Lord always. What did John the Baptist said? He said it more, the most beautiful way in the most simple way that if we live this way, God will bless our lives and we will be li live lives that are fulfilled and satisfied. We're not going to be living empty lives chasing things that never fill us. Very frustrated, angry, unhappy people. <laughs> you know, the, the way of happiness in our life, the way of true joy in our lives is humility because you're satisfied with where and what God wants for you. John the Baptist said it this way in John 3.30. He said, he must increase and I must decrease. Oh, that's so amazing. He must increase. I just want the Lord to increase. But the only way the Lord for increase is that if I decrease. Because the more that I decrease, He increases in me and, and others are able to see Him in my life. I must become little so that He can become louder in my life. I must become smaller now so that He can become bigger in my life. Do you see how this is so important now? That we ought to not live a life that is full of ourselves. And that's what he's telling them in the book of James now. In fact, in Luke chapter 14, Jesus said himself, For whoever exalts himself, notice this, will be humbled. And he who humbles himself will be exalted. You know what it means? Well, I, I haven't really tried to exalt myself. You know how you exalt yourself without even knowing when you're living in pride? You're living a life of exaltation. That's, that's simply at its core, that's what it means to exalt yourself. When you're living a life filled with pride. And if you're living a life filled with pride, guess what will happen? God's going to deal with you and He will humble you. Now this is so important for us because He's teaching us here from verses 7 through 10 that Christian sorrow leads to repentance. Christian sorrow, the lamenting, the mourning, the weeping, it will lead us to repentance and our repentance is going to lead us to forgiveness. 
So this is the best place to be at because in humility, you find that forgiveness that you are desperately needing now and the forgiveness is leading you to true joy because you are now reconciled to God and have that peace that you were missing. You see, humility and humbling ourselves before God means getting right also, notice this, with other people. Humility and humbling ourselves before God means also getting right with other people. You can't say that you're submitted to God if there's division between you and your brother. You cannot say you're submitted to God if you're angry and you harbor resentment towards a spouse or towards somebody in the body of Christ. You have not fully humbled yourself before God. You know you humbled yourself before God when you went and you apologized even when it wasn't your fault. You know you're humbling yourself before God when you are pursuing now reconciliation with others. Because it shows you've truly been submitted to God. When you're saying, you know, I'm submitted to God, but I just don't want to submit to one another, that is not true submission to God. Because our submission to God is going to be reflected in our submission to other people. Our submission to God will be manifested in the way that we submit to one another. Now, do you see why this is, is incredibly important for us to be able to read and to understand? Because humility, what it does, it, it really produces now submission, but humility also produces unity. Humility produces unity. And here he's going to talk to the critical spirit now. Notice what he says here. It says, do not speak evil of one another. <laughs> How can you say that you are living a life submitted to God if you're criticizing and slandering when you don't even know all the facts about your brother or sister? You're not submitting to God. In fact, you're criticizing your brother and your humility is not producing unity. Therefore, it's not real humility. And then he says this in verse 11, don't speak evil of one another, brethren. Let's look at the word brethren. Talking about the church, speaking evil against one another, slandering, judging, criticizing one another. Because when you do this, notice what it says in verse 11. He who speaks evil of a brother or of another believer or of another believer and judges his brother or criticizes that person. Notice that. If I criticize that person, I speak evil of them. What you are doing at the same time, you are speaking evil of the law now. Notice what it says. And judges the law. When you're speaking evil of one another, when you're criticizing God, you're also criticizing, judging also God's word and speaking evil of it. Why are you doing that? Because what does the law say? What does the word of God say that we are called to what? Love one another. You are to love one another, to love God and love your neighbor. The law says that. So that when you are slandering someone and criticizing someone, what you're saying is that that law doesn't apply to me. I am above that law. You're not above that law. <laughs> when you're humbled, you are submitting now to the commandment of God to love God and to love people. And it takes away now the right judgment that only belongs to God because now you put yourself in the place of judge when you criticize. You're not God. None of us are. Therefore, we are never to be judgmental with our words. 
In Ephesians chapter 4, verse 31, it says, Let all bitterness... You know what bitterness manifests itself? It manifests itself in the tongue. Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, which is complaining, <laughs> all complaining, all anger, all just bitterness, evil speaking, be put away from you with malice or even with a bad attitude and division. Put that away. And be kind to one another. Be kind. You know, kindness is such an important virtue for the believer, kindness. You know what kindness means? It, it really means the unconditional or unfailing love. Kindness, unfailing love. Kindness means a love that doesn't fail. A love that continues, uh, an eternal love. That's what kindness means. It means love. And be kind to one another, tender-hearted, gently forgiving one another, just or even as God in Christ forgave you. Now these are heavy scriptures right now, talking about humility. Humility also means to not speak evil of someone, and it also means to forgive someone. So just imagine you're always complaining about that person. You don't want to talk to them. You want to avoid them. You don't want to forgive them the way God forgave you. You don't want to be tender hearted and you don't want to really be kind. Are you fully submitted to God then? In fact, he goes on in verse 11 at the end of verse 11, he says, but if you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. Your job, our job as believers is not to judge the law, is not to criticize the law. And we criticize the law when we criticize one another. But our responsibility is to obey the law. Oftentimes, even the believers here, what they would do is they say, well, that doesn't apply to me, and I am above the law or above the Word of God. We are never above the Word of God. The Word of God is the standard. In fact, God says that He holds His Word above His own name. <laughs> you think about that. He holds His Word even above His own name, which means that we cannot be selective about God's Word and God's commandments. In Matthew chapter 7, verse 1, what did Jesus say on the Sermon of the Mount? Talking about criticizing and slandering and judging one another, he says, judge and you shall not be judged. For with the same judgment that you judge, it will be judged, and with the measure that you use, it will be measured back to you. Just imagine if the same type of standard that you apply to other people and the judgment and the critical attitude that you have towards them was applied to you, would you have sufficient grace to move on? <laughs> Oftentimes you wouldn't. You want to offer people a spirit of criticism instead of a spirit of grace. In fact, it says here, it goes on in Matthew 7, verse 3, it says, And why do you look at the speck in your brother's eye? You do not consider the plank in your own eye. <laughs> but oftentimes you say, you know what, look at that person. Have you seen him or her? I can't believe they're doing that. And you're talking about a little speck in their eye when there's a huge two-by-four sticking out of your own eye. <laughs> and you haven't realized it. You know why? Because sin and pride... Sin and pride hinders you from looking at people through the lens of compassion and through the lens of love. If you can't look at people through the lens of love and compassion, it's because something is in the way, and it's usually our pride. Our pride doesn't let us look at people with love. Our pride will hinder us from looking at people through the lens of love. Or how can you say, my brother, let me remove the speck from your eye? 
Like you say, hey, let me, let me help you with that. You have a problem, let me disciple you. <laughs> let me exhort you, let me correct you. And you don't look at the plank that is in your own eye. Hypocrite, Jesus said. Remove the plank from your own eye, and then you will be able to see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. Can you see clearly today? Can you see clearly? Or is there something that is in your eye that you need to take out sin in your life? Now, verse 12, it says here, there is one lawgiver. Who's that one lawgiver? It's God. Why does he say that? Because the one lawgiver is the judge. Who's the one that gives the law? The judge. You are not above the law, and you are not the lawgiver. Therefore, it gives you no right and no position to judge other people. You're not sitting in that seat. <laughs> you didn't write the law. So stop criticizing. Stop judging. Stop disobeying. What you're saying is that you're the judge, and what you're saying is that you can change the law, or you're above the law. Notice this, there is one lawgiver who gave the law, he is the judge, has the authority to save and destroy those who refuse to repent. Notice this, there is one lawgiver who is able to save and to destroy. It is only God that can do that. You can't save anyone, or you can't destroy anyone. You can't do that. Therefore, you have no privilege, responsibility, or right now to judge your brother or sister. What right do you have to judge your neighbor, he's saying here in verse 12? What right do you think you have? You have no right to speak about someone that way. You have to humble yourselves before the Lord because you're not God. Notice this, what it says. Who are you to judge another? Who are you? Who do you think you are to judge someone else like that? Now, do you see how humility affects every area of your life? It affects the way you come and draw, before, draw near before the Lord. And when you come and you draw near before the Lord, you know what it comes? It purifies your heart. It purifies your mind, your, your hands and out. But as your heart is purified, think about what you don't do now. You don't go out and you slander. You go out and you serve. Do you have a heart to serve? Or is your heart filled with bitterness that you no longer can serve? To end, let's read 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1. It says this, 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 1, Therefore lay aside all malice, deceit, hypocrisy, envy, jealousy, and evil speaking. Lay it aside. Lay it aside. As newborn babes. This is amazing. As a newborn babe. What does a newborn babe want to do? My... Almost two-month-old son, what does he want to do? All he does is just eat and just sleep. <laughs> just rest and eat. A newborn babe. Just want to be, desires the pure milk, the feeding, the nourishment now. In fact, instead of slandering people, what you should really be doing is getting in the Word. That's what he's saying. And he says here, as a newborn babe, that you desire the pure milk of the Word. Fill your mind and your heart and your life with the Word so that you may grow thereby. This is how growth happens with the pure milk of the Word of God. If indeed you have tasted that the Lord is gracious. Have you tasted that God is gracious in your life, that He has given you grace, that He's given you more than what you deserve? Then go to the Word of God and grow thereby. You know, every day we can wake up and we don't have to wake up saying, Lord, why am I not there in life? You can wake up and you can say, Lord, thank you for your grace. I want to grow in it. 
And when you wake up with the perspective, Lord, you gave me your grace already today, it's new today, then you've already given more than what I deserve. <laughs> I woke up and I'm blessed because I've received your grace. That's already more than what I should have. <laughs> it's your grace. And I'm in a living relationship with Jesus now. And I'm enjoying the grace of God. Notice this. I can desire one thing. The pure milk of the word of God. Do you desire the pure milk of the word of God? That you want to get along with the word of God? And say, I want to grow thereby. Because if you don't have the desire for this, notice this. If you don't have the desire for this, you will live your entire life frustrated and never submitted. The person that's never submitted is living a life of frustration. Of frustration. It is until you are submitted to God that you find true peace. True peace is found in submission. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. Cleanse your heart. Cleanse your hands. Lament, mourn, and weep for your sin. True repentance, godly repentance, that leads to a revival and a personal revival in our lives. Let's go ahead and pray right now. Lord.